0: So the question is, do non-contact orders actually work? Joining us is Professor Doug King from the Criminal Justice Department at Mount Royal University. Do court orders actually protect women?
1: We're talking about no-contact orders or what are often referred to as restraining orders. Um, the majority of them do. I can't give you specific uh, statistics, but the significant majority of them do um, uh, impede someone from making contact with, you know, a victim of domestic assault and those kinds of things. What we do hear about, though, are the ones where, in, as in this case, where uh, the a person that has the restraining order placed upon them violates the restraining order, and ultimately does some really, you know, uh, commits an offense and in this case kills someone. And those are the ones that we hear about most.
0: So you're saying in in large part restraining orders do work and it's when they don't work that we hear about them because they end up in tragedy that overtakes a community, a school and a city like this.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, indeed, in this case, for sure. Uh, Most violations of uh, restraining or no contact orders don't lead to this kind of um, tragedy, but it does lead to trauma for individuals who have um, some sense of protection from a restraining or no contact order, and uh, it's violated. So it it rarely gets to the extremes that we've seen in this case uh, that we're talking about. But they can be traumatizing even if they don't go to such extremes.
0: What does a person in that situation do? Is there anything that can protect that woman from an individual who is out to hunt her down and, and take her life?
1: I think th- this is where the uh, criminal justice system has um, uh, holes in the, holes in the safety net. Um, Oftentimes people expect if a no contact order or restraining order has been imposed that the police are going to be providing an umbrella of protection for the individual who has sought and and secured the no contact order or restraining order. Uh, The reality is is that is is not the case. Uh, We would be um, surprised at the number of restraining and no contact orders that are actually out there. So, in actual fact the the safety net that has to be developed and to a certain extent might exist but needs to be enhanced is a more uh, collaborative approach between social agencies, the police, and other other um, uh, parts of what we would call you know our community to extend uh, opportunities for safety to individuals who are saying um, "I still feel threatened and I have still been threatened." so you know we we uh, we can fault the criminal justice system but the reality is that we would need probably you know three times more police officers uh, in the Calgary police service to enforce all of the restraining and no contact orders that are out there
0: so devil's advocate though would say Well, then we need to have three times as many police officers so that a young woman doesn't lose her life to a man who is determined to take it.
1: Sure. Um, uh, Perhaps city council would triple the police budget for the Calgary Police Service. That's currently sitting at about half a billion dollars. And so if we want to spend the money on that, we could. But then again, you get into all of that political issues and things like that. You know, I do think there's better ways than just simply saying we'll we'll let the the, you know put the responsibility on the police. I think it's up to larger commitments in the community and social agencies that you can actually you know fund social agencies that reach out and provide um, relief and support to individuals who, in particular, who are victims of domestic assaults and interpersonal violence. And there again, it it comes down to government funding. Uh, I bet you if you went to every social agency that currently provides that kind of protection, they will tell you that they're absolutely desperate for funding. So ultimately, uh, this is going to have to be a social and a community responsibility to up their game in terms of providing protection.
0: We're speaking with Professor Doug King from the Criminal Justice Program at Mount Royal University. Because what people have said to us is, why can't this person just sit and rot in jail Mm -hmm. and wait for a trial, and then the woman would have been protected? So why not?
1: So from the time uh, of the original uh, criminal uh, event uh, in which the individual faced a criminal charge, and I believe it was a sexual assault, uh, where the individual was uh, was char- was arrested and then charged. Because of the nature of the offense, um, he would have been brought before a judge if for the judge to determine whether or not the individual should be released on bail. Um, now, under the Canadian Charter and Rights and Freedoms, bail is presumed to be granted unless the Crown can make an argument to the judge that the bail should not be uh, granted and the individual would be kept until trial so that obviously didn't happen so the Crown did not was not successful in making that argument so that then would mean that the individual would be released now the individual in question violated the no contact order twice and would have then been brought up before um, a judge once again and again, we'd have to go through the same process. The Crown would have to make an argument, the judge would have to agree to it, and so on. Um, the, so from the time of the original charge to the time ultimately that they may end up in a court of law, uh, to have a guilt or innocence determined, could take up to 18 months uh, to, get, to get into a court. Uh, just simply because, again, number of judges, number of courtrooms, and and those kinds of things that really slow down the justice system. Um, we have un, under the uh, the uh, Supreme Court, these things have to be tried uh, tried within 30 months of time of charge, and that's a long time. That's two and a half years. Mm-hmm. Um, and to speed it up. Uh, the federal government of Canada needs the point more judges, uh provinces have to build more courtrooms, we have to hire more crown prosecutors and all of that. Um so that that's the that's the dilemma facing facing the criminal justice system.
0: This is so frustrating professor because you're telling me we need more money and resources in social programs, we need money and resources for policing, we need money and resources for justices and criminal spaces to actually hold the trials. So Where's the money?
1: Well, I mean, uh, you know, as I tell my students, uh, uh justice is not cheap and uh it's up to the governments to do the funding. Um, we've gone through probably two decades of all levels of government trimming uh, uh you know uh, not appointing enough judges or the black, the backlog of appointment of judges is startling. Uh, the un- not appointing enough Crown prosecutors because governments want to uh, cut costs and trim budgets. And they end up doing it within the uh, realm of the criminal justice system. And, you know, ask, ask, ask uh, Chief Neufeld and the Calgary Police Commission uh, how often they have requested funding, and it's been denied by city council. Uh, So the responsibility ultimately lays at the feet of our elected officials. If we demand justice from them, we're going to have to pay for it. And they can't keep on cutting back on it as they approach elections and things like that.